Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. We're having fun. This is church. And um, it's so good to have Wally and Shaws back. Please don't go up to them and ask them, how was your holiday? Um, it wasn't a holiday. It's staying in different people's homes. It's ministering six, seven times in a week. It's um, pouring lives into other people's lives, into other churches' stories. And um, please go and ask them, learn. Ask them how to engage, how to love. We are on a story with a great king. He is involved in rescuing the nations. He's involved in rescuing a city. Why would we close a service down here to go across there? Is because it's not about our mission. It's not about our story. God's involved in rescuing this city. And if Milneton and the areas surrounding Milneton that, that could know that a people are willing to close down their comforts, their story, get in cars and travel, I think we become Acts 29 alive and happening in our city, in our nations. And we want to be that. And so if you're new to the story, you're saying, I've just got you, and now in a couple of weeks' time, these guys are going to close down the service. Don't worry, you can come twice on Good Friday. No, you don't have to. It's a bargain. It's a bargain. We, um, we really, really love what God is doing. I so loved last week, and um, I, I ca- I'm captivated by that Jonah 3, verse 1, where it's, it's God comes and He speaks the word a second time. I've been captivated the whole week. I've been reminded of story after story after story of God's grace and His goodness in lives, in my life. When I failed, where I dropped the ball, where, where I disobeyed, when, when I got caught up with myself and my story, and how God keeps speaking His Word again and again. And how His grace keeps flowing again and again. Are you amazed by that? I mean, does it captivate you? Does it, honestly, I, I think that Jonah 3 verse 1 captivates me. It pulls me into the gospel story. I can't help but respond. I had the amazing privilege yesterday of taking my little boy, who I sadly have to confess in this forum is a Stormer supporter. Just putting it out there. It's, it's, it's been a hard thing to deal with. Still praying about it and um, asking God for wisdom, how to pull him out of the error of his ways. But, um, but God will speak to him a second time. And, um, but I had the privilege of taking him to Newlands Rugby Stadium for the first time. He's never been to a stadium. He's seven years old. He, he absolutely loves sport, any sport, but he absolutely loves rugby. And um, we tried to get rid of DSTV about two months ago. We had a riot in our home because he couldn't watch sport. I mean, it's crazy. He loves it. And so he, he got his report back on Friday, and um, one of the challenges of moving from English schools in Durban to more Afrikaans schools in Cape Town is the standard of Afrikaans is, well, different, very different. So my boy's been getting threes for Afrikaans, and uh, we've been working, we've been trying to read at home, and he's been giving, he got a five on Friday. And so um, it's like a big thing, and he literally ran into the house, Dad, Dad, he's missing his front tooth, so it's all quite comical at the moment. And uh, I got a five for Afrikaans. And, and Sharon was with us, and we just celebrated that. So the, the, the celebration moment was to go to rugby together on uh, last night. And uh, it was a treat because it was also quite late. But you know, Newlands is a weird stadium. You kind of walk, and it's there. It's like it's on you, and you walk up these little avenues. Um, and so you don't feel the bigness until you walk into the stadium. And to see the face of quite an expressive little seven-year-old as he walked into a stadium for the first time was just, it was amazing. You know, the Bible says, and Jesus encouraged us to be like little children. 
It's, 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 it's like even last Sunday morning, we speak about the grace of God. It's sometimes we have to be like little children who see it for the first time. And it's just, wow, look at that. And look at that TV screen. And, and look at the grass. And, and the players are running around. They're training. And he's, he kept on jumping up every time they scored a try or the ref did something. And he felt like he needed to tell the ref what he was doing. It happens early. And the seat flips up. And he sits back down. And the seat's gone. It was... Everyone was watching. It was, uh, we were in the old grandstand. We, had, we were given someone season tickets for the game. And um, so it's all the Laklanis. They've had their tickets for years. But this little kid literally captivated them with his passion and his zeal and his cap sideways and missing a seat. And, and, um, but it's just, we call to be like that. I hear Shirley speak about speaking about the love of Jesus and intimacy with Jesus. That's who we are. We are little cheap children overwhelmed by the glory, the goodness, the wonder, and the grace of our King. That's who we are. We're not complicated. We aren't people wrapped up in theology, but not captivated deep inside by something of a wonder, something of an amazement. And maybe you wouldn't know, but that song we sang this morning about it doesn't matter how far you run. It's the first time that song's ever been sung. Gabe wrote that song yesterday. In the series of, of Jonah, in what God is doing, in the theology and the truth and the grace being poured out. I trust it captivates you. I trust that we are a people captivated and in awe, like a seven-year-old going in a stadium for the first time, going, wow, God, wow. I trust you look back and you remember the day you encountered his love for the first time. Don't stop doing that. I, I remind myself in a certain way, I've made about four or five big decisions in my life. And I knew there would be a moment and a time where I might need to remind myself exactly why I made those decisions. So at those four or five occasions, I've written myself a letter to Mark. I know it's a little weird, but it's okay. To Mark. And I remind myself of why and what God had spoken, what the Word had spoken in my life, and why we had made the decisions as a family or as an individual. And I think we have to do the same by the day we encounter Jesus just to remind ourselves how amazing and how glorious He is. It really is a wonderful privilege to be together. I'm captivated, captivated by that sentiment that God is on a rescuing mission. He's on a rescuing mission, and the vehicle He's chosen, part of His church, to send us out. He's pulling us out of this Caribbean cruise liner reality into the life crows, the life crafts, and the safety boats that go out into the high seas. We spoke about it last week. I trust as we're in the Word and we are captivated by Jesus, we're being pulled into the big story of the gospel. Who's being challenged by the series? Seven of you. Eight. We got nine. I, I trust the Word, and, and you're not just coming on a Sunday to, to take snacks of the Word. You are finding yourself in the Word, and the Word is captivating you. There are one-liners that grip me. As I've, I've, I've preached in Jonah before, I've been in the series before, but there are one-liners. I'm still captivated by that one line where, Jonah, where it says, Jonah paid his fare. I'm not called to pay the fare. Jesus has paid the fare. And when I start paying the fare with my energy, my resources, my family, my relationships, something's wrong. And I've got to go, Jesus, you paid the fare. But it's just one line, an innocuous little line that we could glibly read over. I trust you are captivated by the word of God. Can I pray for us this morning as we continue? Jesus, I pray as a community this morning we would come to you like a little child and just go, wow, Jesus. Wow, your goodness. Wow, your grace. Wow, you are forgiving. Wow, you are loving. And I pray the overwhelming 
sense of your goodness, your grace, your kindness that you pour over would captivate us again. I pray right now, wherever people are at, whether they still feel like they're in the belly of a whale at the bottom of the ocean, would they encounter and be able to lift their heads to the one who saves I pray for those, and I thank you for those that I feel like they're on the mountaintops of life, but I pray would they lift their eyes even higher to see you, even higher to see the glory and the wonder of knowing you, God. And as a community, would you captivate us and would you call us and keep calling us back to your story at this time? Amazing. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Can we read Jonah 3 one more time? We have decided that we are going to read chunks of scripture in and through the series. So if you had your word, would you turn to that now? I trust it's a little easier to find. I don't need to give you the clues that it's between Micah and Obadiah. Did that help you last time? No, it didn't help. Some of you like that didn't help. Jonah 3. And we are off the back of last week looking at what are some of the steps in going from the belly of the whale to the beach. That's where we were last week. We were stuck and we looked at Jonah chapter 2 and he's crying out. And it sounds like a cry, but actually it's a song of praise. And at his lowest moment, he cries out for you, God, to you, King, the salvation that you bring. And he goes through this calling out. He comes to the throne that he thinks is a throne of judgment and realizes it's a throne of grace. He anticipates the love of God and then the triumph of God speaking again. And so today, what I'd love to look at now let me, let me read the chapter and then we'll go through it. Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the city of the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with their compassion, with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. The moral of that story is next time we fast, your animals are fasting too. (laughs) It's an important thing. But I look at the scripture and there's some keys that pop out at me. The first one, we spoke about it last week and we're going to keep speaking about, but God speaks a second time. The second one is that this Nineveh is a great city. It's a great city. People, numbers, influence, and wickedness. It's great in all of them. And Jonah's obedience, the Ninevites believe, and God relents. It's an unbelievable story. It's awesome. And if it just stopped there, it would be amazing. Chapter 4, we get a few challenges. So we're going to jump into there after Easter. But I wanted to speak this week about the war will be won or lost on the beaches. And when I say that, think of Eisenhower in 1944. I don't exactly know how it's said. Much, much better at English accents than Americans. So I'm not even going to try. 
But it's 1944, and on the evening of June 5th, Eisenhower gives a decree. And he says, actually, we're going to attack. And um, 20,000 troops, paratroopers, are flown over into German territories and dropped all over the place. And dropping them all over the place creates chaos amongst the German forces and the enemy forces. They don't know how many there are. They don't know where to get them. They can't control them. And then in the mist and under the cover of mist, Operation Overlord was this amphibious invasion, the largest amphibious invasion in history. And these, these tanks that have been converted, and they were called duplex, duplex drive tanks. They had these double layers where the tank was underneath, and they were amphibious so they could drive. And, and the idea was the soldiers would be on top. They could, could come and land quite quietly and invade because they needed to take the beaches. This massive, massive attack happened. Anyway, it carried on. And the most challenging beach was a beach named Omaha Beach. Who's the history here? Who's the historians? Oh, we got to know our history. I loved history at school. And um, captivated by the story, Omaha Beach was the most difficult part of the invasion. World War II, the context, the Allies are coming, the German forces have a stronghold, and the, this beach needed to be taken. And there were mines covering the beach. Maybe if we could have the side number six, please, just to give you a context of what was waiting for these soldiers. As they came on these tanks, they're waiting. They, they are nervous. They are fearful. They can hear the sounds of bombers going off. They can hear the ammo being shot on the hills. The enemy are shooting down at them. And their tank is arriving amphibiously onto the beach. And this is what's awaiting them. Landmines, barbed wire, chaos. That's what's waiting for them on the beach. And it says, and this is a, a, a quote from that time, the enemy poured a withering fire upon landing crafts as they touched down and upon the troops who floundered out of them into shallow water, where many, not killed by shot or shell or mine, were drowned when they were wounded or stumbled upon their he under their heavy burdens. All seemed to be confusion and chaos. Soldiers were entering out, and just by the sheer weight of the pack upon their backs, they entered the beach and were drowned in the story. Other soldiers trying to pull them out were being singled out by German snipers. It's chaos. It's all happening on the beach. And this was the sentiment of the general. He said, the war will be lost or won on the beaches. The first 24 hours of the invasion will be decisive. This beach that you're looking at and these things attacking, if they had not taken those beaches and been able to push through, they wouldn't have won. And it said this amazing thing as the historian Kenneth Davis reports. He says, however, small groups of men took it upon themselves, even if they were seriously injured, to blast holes in barbed wire and clear lanes through minefields. Without that effort and Germans not having an intense counterattack because of Operation Overlords being a surprise, infantry men would not have been able to advance up the bluffs and vehicles began to move up the beach and up the ravines. Men are being killed everywhere. It's war. It's chaos. But a certain group of men and groups of men found the courage and found the ability to press through the gunfire, press through the landmines, push beyond, to take that barbed wire, move it across so the infantry could invade. I'm captivated by this image because what was it that drove those men beyond? There were reports of other men cowering behind sand bluffs on the beach and sandbanks that the waves had washed against. They stayed there for hours and hours, just hiding behind as the bullets rained down upon them, hiding on the beach. 
And yet some moved beyond. Some crawled through the barbed wire. Some crawled through the situations. Some crawled through the circumstances to break open. And I don't want to overplay this hand, but I think the men that went beyond had a vision. They had the words echoing of their general. This war will be won on those beaches. And they had those sounds ringing through their ears. They understood the urgency and they had a vision of victory. They had a vision of two things. One, if they didn't get victory. And two, if they broke through the victory that would happen. And they were captivated by that vision. I look at Jonah and I see the story happen. He, he sins, he, he gets thrown overboard He gets capped up and caught up in the grace of God in the belly of a whale. And it's the grace of God in his repentance. He cries out and praises God from deep, deep down in the belly of a whale. And he gets spat up on the beach. And I'm sure Wally and Shores have seen and many others have seen. But I've seen this cycle many, many times in lives. Men and women caught up in the belly of a whale, in the belly of brokenness, in the belly of addiction, whatever that story is. Crying out to the glory of God, getting spat out on a beach. But what happens on the beach determines what happens next. Because too often the cycle doesn't go like the book of Jonah goes. It goes back into the belly of the whale. It goes back on my knees crying out to God because he is glorious. It goes, God speaks another word again and we get spat on the beach again. And unless we are captivated by the vision, and our vision isn't an army attacking, our vision is Jesus. Our vision is Jesus, and the other vision we have to keep in mind is the cries that we have a living harvest. Wally goes out and takes salt to churches because there is a harvest. You are called to be salt in the nations. You are called to be salt in the city. You are called to speak the gospel to those around you. Why? Because we have a living harvest. And there are moments and there are opportunities and there are times to harvest. And sometimes, if you miss those moments, you miss those opportunities, you miss the opportunity to harvest. Our harvest is alive. Our harvest is a generation alive in 2016. And as much as we are caught up by the wonder and the glory of Jesus on the hill, calling us up, calling us to the top of the hill, calling us to live lives of victory in Him, we have to hear the cries of the harvest. Does that make sense? That image of a deep, everyone's looking a little bit like, is that all right, Wally? Did that make sense? I'm captivated by this image because I think too many people, when they think of the beach in Jonah, think of this image. Number seven, please. This amazing image. It's like, we're in the belly of the whale. There goes a tire. There goes all the dead fish. There's the tonsils of the whale. All of a sudden, bloop, we're out on the beach. And oh, Hakuna Matata. We're there. And it's all good. And all of a sudden, the imminent danger and the, the cords that Jonah speaks about in Jonah 2 that are wrapped around him like kelp in the surfing in Cape Town sometimes, it's, it's not there anymore. All of a sudden, he's on the beach. And you know what we don't know from the Scripture? We don't know if there was another ship going to Tarshish. There might have been. We don't know. We don't know if there was a Sol Kersna, um resort down the road. All we know is this amazing thing, that God caused a whale or a big fish to spit Jonah out on a beach. And God speaks a word to him again, the same word. And then these incredible, incredible words, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. You know, I think sometimes we read these Bible characters and we read these stories of men and women's lives and we think they didn't have any other option. He had options. The guys arriving on the beaches... At Omaha Beach, they had options. They could have hidden behind a sand bluff. It's safe here. 
It's safe here. If I just hide, if I just stay, I'm sure the war will just carry on and something will happen, but I'll be safe here. Something captivated others to crawl up. Something captivated Jonah so much that he obeyed, that he responded. And understand this, it wasn't an easy task that he was responding to. And you know this. You know that, that these people God had called them to, the Ninevites, were those who impaled his people. They were war crime terrorists. And nothing had changed in the interim. In his three days in the belly of a whale, nothing had changed. And actually, what is suggested to us is actually they got worse. Because it says this great city of Nineveh, we go great city. Like Dubai, we think of high rises and nice beaches and all these things. Actually, maybe God was speaking of the great wickedness in that city. Because for the first time we hear there's a 40-day story. Jonah arrives and he speaks, from 40 days destruction will be upon you. That wasn't there at the beginning. Do you see the picture? We've got to throw ourselves into these stories and use images and, to remind us of how big the story is. And um, I, I believe in getting potentially stuck in the story, we've got to understand that God reveals His will and, and a, a commentator, Jordan, Gordon, not Jordan, Gordon Keddy. You don't want to misquote a commentator and get his name wrong, because I know someone will check. That the revealed will of God for our lives is not negotiable. Everything God asks of us requires a thoroughly faithful response. See, this thing was a difficult thing that God had called Jonah to. It's a difficult thing. I said, Jonah obeyed. What was it? I think deep down in the belly of a whale, deep down at the bottom of the ocean, he had encountered the overwhelming love of God. Deep down with the stink all around, with the smell of dead fish, deep down, he encountered the love and the grace of God and there was no other option. There was no other. There was no option to lie on the beach and catch a tan. There was no option to get back on a boat and go to Topshish. There was no other option. When we are captivated, we are called up. Even the overwhelming brokenness of the place God's called us to doesn't overwhelm us. What overwhelms us and calls us to obedience is the love of God, the grace of God, that God would send a whale to save him from drowning, to take him down, to speak to him, and then spit him out on a beach, and then recommission him. Jonah's going, God, you're amazing. And he decides to walk off that beach to take the journey towards Nineveh. Now understand this. He's got to walk. It would have taken him some time. And he's walking. He's, he starts processing. And like you and I, you begin to walk along the beach, off the beach, into the story. And what gets shouted at you? Everything that we sang about in that song. Every time we failed. Every time we messed up. For some here, it's, it's the marriage that didn't go so well. It's the parenting story that's still broken. It's the time I try to pray for someone and it didn't go so well, so I've shrunk back into my space, try to get back on the beach. It's the time I laid hand on the sick and that person didn't get well. Actually, that person died. Those are the things that get shouted at us as we begin the journey to Nineveh. Maybe it's just me, but sometimes those voices are overwhelming. It's a difficult thing God calls us to. And, and it's not just sin it's that, that keeps us on the beach. Sometimes just difficult things. Love your enemies and forgive people. That's not an option. 
I, I, I spoke to someone once. I said, but here's the Bible. Forgive. I'm going to pray about it. No, let me help you here. You don't need to pray about it. Jonah didn't need to pray about it. God had spoken. To love your enemies and forgive are not pray about it options. They are respond in obedience to God options. They are the obedience that opens up an inheritance in God. They are the ones that open up the breakthrough in the mission that God has called you and I to. It's those moments as sons we need to just obey and not think about. Last night, I'm walking with my boy. There are hundreds, I'm probably thousands of people around. It's chaos. It's late at night. Guys are ready for a party. And I've got a seven-year-old who's about this big. And I said to him, boy, you have to stay with me. Stay with me. Keep your eye fixed on me. Stay with me. Hold my hand. It's not an option. This you have to do. Sometimes we need to just respond in faith. It's tough. Let me speak to you. What about tithing and generosity? It's tough. Started at 21 years old. All I had was 45,000 rand student loan, a 5,000 rand Ford Escort that kept falling apart, and the lights were turned on and off for this thing like this. I don't even know what that's called. I could turn the lights off with my knee while driving. I just kicked it. And I read the word of God, and for years I've spoken. I look, God, you've called me to be generous, and you called me to give. It's tough sometimes. In economic times, and we sit with people like, it's all chaos. I say, but what do you need to do, and what do you need to pray about? Sometimes they're different. Jonah, God speaks a word, calls him to obedience. I want to speak to us this morning, because I want a great inheritance. I want the 120,000 people. See, what was waiting at the end of the day was not the freedom keys of the city for Jonah at Nineveh. God didn't say, Jonah... If you pull this off, buddy, you're going to be the man in Nineveh. They're going to love you. There were no promises like that. All that was promised was there's 120,000 people and a whole bunch of animals. And I want to redeem them. I want to reveal my love and my grace to them. That's the prize. That's the prize. John Calvin said, Faith, when once it gains the ascendancy in our hearts, surmounts all obstacles and despises all the greatness of the world. Faith, when once it gains the ascendancy in our hearts, surmounts all obstacles and despises all the greatness of the world. See, even as I processed the story, I, I put myself in the character, I'm going, I would have asked what God wanted me to say. Don't know about you. God says, go to Nineveh, this great enemy, this challenging. If I was Jonah, I said, God, well, what do you want me to say? He doesn't even ask that. He just obeys. Jesus had the same story with his disciples. And in Mark 13, he's teaching them and he's saying, if you're going to get in some tough situations, you're going to fight with some people, here's the answer. Here's the story in verse 11. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, I mean, there's a promise, huh? Not if, whenever you are arrested and brought to trial. Do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. See, when faith arises, we give license. We turn up the volume of the Spirit of God in our lives as we begin to speak and declare. It's the Holy Spirit rising up inside of us that's declaring. As we go into the Ninevehs of our lives and our stories, we go in not knowing every answer. See, the challenge in living in what we spoke about last year, an unforgiving world, is that we want all the answers so we don't have to face that unforgiving world. And here's the challenge of faith. Faith says, I trust God in the right time, 
you will speak. I trust God, you will speak to your sons, you will speak to your daughters. And Jonah goes in just saying, God, Psalm, Isaiah 40, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is a promise to those who will trust Him. This is a promise to those who will allow faith and give faith the ascendancy in our hearts. Take our eyes off obstacles, because Jonah still had obstacles. I think you can glibly read over this little section of Scripture and go, Oh, well, it made sense. No, it didn't make sense. Every bit of fear that he faced in Jonah 1 would have come up again, and it would have been amplified, because now there's a time limit to it, 40 days. Jonah's challenge was tough. And I spoke about the living harvest. I want to read John 4, verse 35. Jesus is speaking. He says, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. They're ripe for us. I think what God needs to do and wants to do in us is give us eyes to see the harvest. And please, this is not a growth, a church growth strategy. Someone said to me the other day, no, you're focused on the last of some church growth strategy. I said, but I see it as the gospel because I can hear the cries of the brokenness. When you drive through your neighborhoods and your suburbs and you hear of the broken stories. Last year, a man in my road committed suicide. And I knew there was brokenness there. And I don't know if he was saved. I'm just telling you. The last encounter I had with him was because he came screaming around the road doing a handbrake turn right in front of our house. That was my last encounter with him. And I got to go back on my knees and say, God, I don't want that last encounter with anyone else again who doesn't know your name. I just can't. I just, I just can't. This love that you have revealed to me is not about me and it's not for me. It's to be revealed to the world around us. And Jonah faces up to those challenges. He faces up to those confrontations. He faces up to his fears. And all of those added up together, multiplied together, do not even come close to the wonder and the glory of knowing God. That's the story of Jonah. That's the second call again. It's the wonder. Jonah obeyed. Here's the thing. Disobedience keeps us on the beach. Obedience takes us to a godly inheritance. What has God been speaking to you about? I, I know if you're giving yourself to the word and to this story at this time, God is speaking to you because he's speaking to me and the promise of the word is God is a two-edged sword. It'll get right inside. You can't sit under the word of God. You can't sit under a story like Jonah and come under the authority of the word without it getting inside of us. What is it that God is speaking to you? Maybe it's to make a phone call to a broken relationship where you know you could have done things differently, a broken partnership in business. Maybe it's, it's, a, it's, it's you know you messed up. I heard the story the other day of a man who'd been divorced twice before. And part of him encountering Jesus is he realized he had to go and make right certain relationships and repent and apologize and ask for forgiveness. Maybe you need to do that. And can I ask, if that is the story of obedience, there is a great inheritance hanging on the other side, but do it well. Do it well. 
There was a man in, in the church where I worshipped before, an amazing young man. He'd encountered the love of God, but he'd been brought up in a, in a really crazy cultish scenario. And, and he wanted to engage and go beyond, and his parents cut him off, and, and he hadn't spoken to his dad in about 12 years. And Rory spoke about the father heart of God one day, and it gripped him so much. He said, what do I do? What can I do? He said, where is your dad? He's in Joburg. He said, I'll tell you what you do. You get on a plane this afternoon, you find him, and you speak. It's hard, but it's hard. Mark, you don't know the pain in my heart. I'm telling you, the pain in your heart will subside, will will fall into insignificance in the wonder and the glory of what Jesus can write over that story. Because on a cross hung a man who redefined who I am. And the boundaries and the definitions of brokenness because of a broken family scenario pale into insignificance when I'm redefined in the love and the grace of Jesus. Jonah is redefined because when he's in the belly of the whale, he's broken, he's useless, he's the prophet who was, he's the guy who didn't have the courage to go. But when he's spat on that beach and he's covered in the wonder of the glory of God, he's God's man. He's a future story man. He's the person that will speak the glory of God to 120,000 people and kings will put on sackcloth to worship him. I want to land this quickly. And I was going to go down a route and speak around something that I think keeps us on the beach, particularly in this nation, and that's the issue of racism. I'm not going to do that today. I'd like to take a chunky time to speak about it because I think it's a big thing in our land. I think we've got to have a context for it. So I don't want to rush that. Is that all right? But in worship, I was just reminded of this amazing story. And Rory spoke about it when we were away a few weeks ago. It's the story at Luke 17, the 10 healed of leprosy. And I was just thinking, God, what keeps us on the beach? We were singing this amazing song. What keeps us stuck on the beach, stuck in the sand? See, sometimes the beach looks far better than the story inside. And you get stories of people getting shipwrecked and the, 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 the craziness of the jungle in which they might find some sort of breakthrough keeps them stuck on the beach. I don't, want us, I don't want you and I don't want myself stuck on the beach and not entering the story beyond the beach because the victory and the glory of God is in Nineveh where your enemy lives. It's in Nineveh where people who in natural terms hate your people that's where the glory of God resides for Jonah and his story. And the story is this of 10 healed of leprosy. Luke 17 verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out to him in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. As they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus answered, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. And this is a little different. I hadn't planned this, but I was reminded of the story in worship. This is Jesus. He does a healing, and he's got a strike rate of 10%. One out of 10 who come back and say thank you. 
This is Jesus. He's just healed him of leprosy. He's healed him from the thing that kept them far out of the city and, and had to wear bells and things so they were known where they went. They were the scourge of the earth. They had no rights. They had no privileges. They had nothing. Jesus comes. He heals them. And one comes back and says, thank you. What am I saying? And where's the parallel to Jonah? I think nine got stuck on the beach. Nine got stuck on the beach. And they could have had a story in Jesus. They could have had a future. They could have had an inheritance. They could have had 120,000. We never know the one. Ananias, in all his racism, was called, and his hatred for Paul, the persecutor of the Jews, Jesus goes and says, Ananias, will you go to one man who's the persecutor of your people, and will you share with him your love that you have received in Jesus? And we get half if not more, of the New Testament because of Paul who received the love of Ananias. What am I saying? Would we be a people who are so captivated by Jesus that we keep coming back in every moment and saying thank you? Just saying thank you. Just saying thank you. I I think it gets us unstuck from the beach. And when we keep going back, because I don't think Ananias came back just to do, not Ananias, this leper. I don't think he came back just to say thanks. I don't think he came back just to, to do the polite thing. This is not about politeness. If we, if we drill the scripture down to politeness, I think we've missed it. What has happened to this, this leper who, who was outside, who was shunned, was pulled into a family, and he's pulled into the family of God, and he's pulled into the family story. He gets the family story commission, which is the, the grace of God commission. And because of that, he's captivated and he wants to know what's next. You and I have been pulled into the family of God's story. We've been adopted for a purpose and pleasure, in his pleasure. Pulled into a story, pulled up out of the bellies of whales, whatever they look like. Maybe it was, it was brokenness. Maybe you've traveled and you've walked over borders to get you. Maybe you've been abused. Maybe you've been broken. I don't know what the belly of the whale is for you, but I'm telling you, the Father gripped you and He pulled you out. And if He hasn't, would you come and allow us to pray with you that you would receive that love? But when you receive that love, He pulls you out of the brokenness. He brings you to a place where He says, I commission you as my son and daughter. You are forever changed. God speaks again. Captivated by the story of the lepers captivated that only one came back i think we've got to be a people who understand to receive this grace is to stay overwhelmed not just in the moment of god thank you for putting me on the beach now i'm going to draw where can i satisfy my pleasure where can i satisfy my desires actually thank you god i'm overwhelmed by you jesus here i am send me Jonah's and the story of Jonah and the sign that Jesus points to of Jonah has to captivate us, has to move us from our, our smallness of living, our safe and secluded and sanitized realities where we want to make it small and it captivates us by pulling us up and lifting our heads to see him, to see him. I've realized in moments, oh, oh I, I had an operation recently. And there were moments I was aware of it, so I would, in photos, keep my head down. And I think we do that with insecurities. I I think there are scars of the past sometimes that make us keep our head down. And I'm telling you, Jonah 
the moment on the beach, the moment of transition, the soldiers going beyond and stepping and breaking through the lines, they were caught up with one thing that didn't matter what was exposed. They looked up and they saw Jesus and they were overwhelmed again. Can I pray for us? That's all right. believe in response to this message that Mark preached. I believe there's two things, a call to obey the Word of God, a call to obedience. And as Jonah obeyed, he came out of the mouth of the whale, and then he became God's mouthpiece that brought life to wherever he went. But we've got to repent, which is meaning truly sorry for building sandcastles on the beach of our own self-centeredness. Because the next high tide that comes washes it all away. And for every person, it will be something different. But for you to reflect a moment on this message, I believe we'd do injustice to God's word this morning if we went out our great message and not responded in faith and obedience. And when you repent of obedience, then respond in obeying that we become God's mouthpiece that brings life and change wherever we go. So can I ask you just to reflect for a moment what you need to say, Lord, I'm truly sorry for. Whether it's going next door to somebody and say, you know what? We've got an amazing Easter service coming. Why don't you come and join me and stay afterwards for lunch or whatever it is? But what is it he said to you that you haven't obeyed? Sorry, and he gives you a second chance again to respond in obedience. So just for a moment, I'm going to ask you to be silent. So Holy Spirit, what do I need to repent and say sorry from? And then I want to respond in obedience as Mark prays. If that's you, and, um, and, and, and you actually know there's something. Maybe it's a relation with this broken. Won't you stand? That's right. If, if there's a relationship that's broken, if there's an area, God, you know God spoke. Maybe it's as simple as read the Word of God. Maybe it's as simple as be generous to someone, whatever it is. If there's one thing that, that you know that, that's been saying, why don't you stand with me telling you I'm, stand, I'm the first one standing. And um, I'd love to pray for us, with us, if that's okay. Jesus, we are captivated by you this morning. Sometimes we, we do such inadequate ways of representing, but I, I pray would, would, you be kept, would you captivate us this morning? Spirit of God in hearts and minds and stories, captivate us again. I pray whatever the story is, we, however we've got stuck on the beach, and like Wally said, maybe even made sandcastles on the beach to entertain ourselves, but you've called us into a greater story. I pray, would you give the courage? Would you give the conviction? Would you give the, the, the strength to take those steps beyond, to step out of comfort, to step out of that small place and into your story? And maybe it looks a little bit like Omaha Beach. Maybe it looks like Mauritius. I don't know how it looks, but whatever it looks like, there's a story beyond the beach. And I pray this morning 
by your grace, would you call us to that story? Would you lift us up from smallness? Would you lift our eyes to see you again? Would you lift our eyes above obstacles, above circumstances, and above situations to be captivated by the King of Kings and His call again? You are the general Lord. It's not some man on earth. It's the creator of all. You are seated on your throne and you are calling us to respond. And I pray we would hear your call this morning. And we would give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor this morning, Jesus. Be exalted, King. I thank you for every person where you are working this morning and you are calling us to obedience. And I speak courage to their obedience. I present to their obedience. And we call out the inheritance that is beyond that obedience, God. We thank you, Jesus. We worship you, King. Amen.